You're listening to Everyday Saints, a podcast from the Melbourne Anglican. I'm your host, Kiralee Nicole. My aim is to feature the stories from those of all different backgrounds in Melbourne and beyond. These stories, they might make us laugh, they might make us cry. My hope is that hearing a diverse range of stories will bring us closer together and better equip us to care for one another. So, without further ado, we hope you enjoy. Today's guest is somebody who I've had the privilege of speaking to on a couple of occasions before, and I've always found him to be both informative and a very empathetic person as well. And I couldn't wait to talk to him to find out what his background was like and and what his faith consists of. He's the Vice-Chancellor at the University of Divinity, but He started at the University of Melbourne, got a scholarship to study at Oxford, uh, and later became a dean there. My guest is the Professor Peter Sherlock. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kiralee. Great. So let's just get straight in. So tell me about you um, and what you're interested in. So when you aren't working as Vice-Chancellor of the University of Divinity, what have you been doing? Yeah, great question. The answer is probably not a lot. I'm not sure I have much spare time. And there's a wonderful clause in my contract, which is something like I need to put all of my ingenuity and talent towards the university. So um, that, that's a bit of a work-life balance issue for me. Um, but um, look, the, the big thing for me outside work is music. Uh, so I've, I've been involved in music one way or another most of my life and um, choral singing is a huge thing for me. So um, my strange spiritual care habit and uh, recreation is I sing even song at St Paul's Cathedral in Melbourne um, most nights when I'm, whenever I'm in town and uh, that is just, for me, the best way to end the day. So that's a big one. The other, the other um, hobby I enjoy doing is bushwalking um, mm-hmm. and it's a bit like singing, getting out into nature, um, getting your feet on the ground, getting your hands dirty, uh, again, takes you away from the world of computer screens uh, and and uh, conversations and difficult meetings. So those two things are pretty pretty big. Uh, friendship is obviously huge, and the, the challenge there is trying to not blur the line between work, professional and personal, too much, given that a lot of my friends will be Christian and, and often involved in the world of theology. I'm sure that's a dilemma that a lot of people in positions like yours can relate to. I know I can as well. Uh, what's your favourite hike to do? Uh, my ultimate favourite by miles is in Margaret River in Western Australia. Uh, so it's in Wadundi country uh, and it's the Cape to Cape Walk where you walk from one end of the Margaret River precinct to the other along beaches and cliffs and it's just the most stunning scenery. The people are amazing. Um, there's a glass of wine at the end of the day. Oh, even better. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, well, what was your upbringing like? Were you raised in the Anglican Church? Yep, I did. So I was I was baptised in 1972 at Holy Trinity Doncaster, where my dad was a theological student at the time. And um, the vicar's wife was my godmother um, and still in, I kept in touch for many years. Um, so... Uh, yeah, grew up in the church and, and never left. 
Uh, so the you know the cradle Anglican, I hate that word, but I'm, I'm a cradle Anglican, and I guess I've always uh, found new ways to connect with my faith. Um, really had a changing sense of Jesus' presence in my life over the years that keeps manifesting um, through different things in work where I'm living, relationships. Um, that's been quite quite wonderful, actually. Um, so, yeah, but but the way Anglicanism has sort of worked out for me has changed over time. So uh, I'm actually in between parishes at the moment, but I'm going to church more than I ever have in my life um, with the with, uh, singing at the cathedral, yeah. Yeah, so I'm fascinated with that. So tell me a little bit about your faith journey. Where did it start and what happened along the way that changed it? Yeah, I think for me um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist uh, and I'm, I'm a bit competitive, so I like to win. And in, in the sort of faith world, one of the things where that, that my personality I think has played out is I'm always looking for authenticity. So what's, a, what's, a, what's an authentic um, expression of faith, while at the same time I I understand it, but I don't have a lot of patience for the sort of religion that says I need God to speak directly to me. And I'm like, does happen, but not very often. Um, so I'm, I, I'm I'm sort of swinging between those two things, and it, and really for me, uh, it is the belief that miracles can happen. Um, it is the belief that the Spirit does speak into the world, but you've got to look for that in communities. Uh, in different ways at different times. So, so part of the changes as my life has changed, the, the Christian parts of the Christian community I've interacted with um, have shifted and that's, that's taken me on a bit of a journey, yeah. So um, I'm curious about those miracles. Um, what's an example of a miracle that you've seen playing out? Can you describe it to me? Yeah. Oh, that's a hard question. Um, Julie, I'm going to have to search my brain a bit. Uh Growing up, I think, particularly as an early teenager, I was struck by um, the contrast. I was going to a youth group that was sort of diocesan run, and it was a great thing to do. You got to meet other Christian teenagers. But I felt completely out of my depth because, um, well, simple things like I went to a state school, almost everybody else in the room was going to a church school, and I just didn't speak the language. So I made some friends. It was, it was good and it was healthy, but there was sort of – it actually – drew attention to distinctions in my life between quite different experiences of um, church community. There was much about sort of class and, and where you lived or the, the classic Melbourne question where you went to school. Um, so that was sort of one experience. And then the other thing when I was a teenager was the um, church I grew up in was St Augustine's Moreland. Um, and at the time it was a really struggling um, small community, but it would be 30 or 40 amazing people of every age from, you know, your babies to your 90-year-olds and the chance to mix with the diverse community there of such a wide range of people from different backgrounds, even though it was such a small community, um, I, I just found inspired a, a sense of, um, yeah, authenticity that that this is the sort of community um, Jesus wants to call us into where everybody's welcome um, and there's an intimacy in that around the different strands of people's lives coming together, yeah. So, so, so much of our life in our world, I find, we're separated from each other into cohorts of the like-minded or the same age group, you know, the same sort of demographic. And, and my experience of the parish church growing up was the opposite of that. Something I'm quite curious about is um, the word authenticity, which you used before, it tends to have a different uh, meaning or emphasis depending on who is using it. 
And so I'm keen to know a little bit more about how you see authenticity. Where do you think you got your idea of of what authenticity looks like from? Oh, um, can I blame my mum for this? Um, probably. I, I think I think um, particularly my mum, but and, and to a, in a different way, my dad as Christians were really passionate um, about living Christian the Christian life the way Jesus taught us. And that for me wasn't about following a set of black and white rules. It was reading the complexity of the scriptures uh, and and really entering deeply into that. And it it's for me, it's recognizing the radical weirdness of Jesus. So the 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 the, the stories of Jesus, the parables, his miracles, the way he lives his life in the gospel narratives is just so out of whack with the priorities of the world. Um, so a friend put it to me, you know, we're called to be the weird and wacky followers of, of Jesus Christ. And the authenticity for me is doing that. So as soon as people get a bit clubby or, you know, we do it because we did it this way last year or people are excluded from that or everyone has to be nice, those kinds of things really get to me because that, that for me is not authentic to the witness of the gospel. That's really interesting to me because it makes me think that in every denomination that you said that in the context of, there would be kind of a different sacred cow um, that would kind of uh, be challenged by that kind of statement. Um, the one that comes to mind in the Anglican Church is 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 tradition. Um, it's an important part of the Anglican Church, um, but I wonder if you see that sometimes tradition can get in the way of authenticity. Do you see that? And is that, um, h- how do you sort of uh, combat that or um, have the hold the tradition in tension with the authenticity? So tradition in the Anglican world is, is always diverse. And it's one of the things I love about it. In fact, one of the things that I, I um, moan a little bit about Melbourne is that, it feels like it's a bit, you're sort of more evangelical low church or you're more Catholic high church. Um, but what hap- whatever happened to the charismatic movement of, again, the sort of weird and wacky radical edge that could infect both the low and the high church ways of doing things and, you know, strange things start to break out. So as soon as tradition becomes an unre- unreflective or just repeating whatever we did last time, um, I start to lose interest Um but we also have to recognise in any human society and in any part of the church, there's always tradition. It's just a question of how well it's spelled out. So if, you, if you're having a time of extemporary prayer, you can guarantee the same two people are going to say the same things most weeks, and that's okay. Um, but sometimes you have to work a bit harder at encouraging maybe some other people to realise they've got the gift of public prayer and, and let's make that happen. Uh, in a cathedral, it's, you know, it's very traditional. Um, I can't believe I actually wear the choir robes. I, the whole Catholic and thing, I'm like, I look too angelic or I used to, and I'm, like, I'm not going to wear that. But actually, it's part of the show and it actually helps you concentrate. So there, where it's, you know, the same service week after week, what I love about it is the rhythm of that tradition means you can tend to the scriptures. So the scripture reading is the thing that changes day by day and, and you, you, you focus then through that particular ritual to listen. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's that mix of wanting the tradition to be constantly engaging with itself and not just there for its own sake, but also learning how to live more deeply into whichever kind of tradition it is um, to discern what the spirit might be saying to us. And, and let's face it, some traditions are fun. 
<laughs> now there's a question. Which tradition do you think is the most fun in the Anglican Church? Yeah, the, a, a, a really good charismatic service, um, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, but doing it respectfully and being open, um, you know, to what really might be going on. Incredibly powerful stuff. Um, very rare to find it done and very rare to, rare to find, in my view, done uh, really respectfully. But that's that for me is like the ultimate spirit breaking into the world. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you been in a part of the world where that's happened? Yeah, yeah, a, f- a few times in my life and not for very long. And I've always recognised the dangers of it. It can be very easy to manipulate um, those intense experiences. But I've also found the same intensity, the, fa- the same... Um, I-, I describe to people in Australia um, sort of my sense of a experience, personal experience of the spirit. A, is always communal. It's never happened to me on my own. Um, and it always requires a huge amount of preparation and prayer and openness of heart. Um, it requires being with other people. And then I always say you have to take your shoes off and get your feet on the ground. Um, so there's, there's a strong sense of connection. Um, so those things happen and it's there in the New Testament witness. But it goes to that weird and wacky thing. God really does break into our lives. Uh, however, that sort of format, can, if it's not done with all that preparation, it can be so easily abused, and I recognise that. I'm really interested because you've spoken a lot about um, a lot of the the good things um, about your faith and things that you've really enjoyed. Um, and I hope you don't mind if I say you're 50 today. I'm, I'm trying to deal with it, so this is therapy. So, yeah, turning 50 and being in the church your entire life, um, I know few Christians who've been who've had a faith for that long and not gone through some kind of dark night of the soul, some sort of turning point where their faith meant one thing before and then it you know it meant means something very different on you afterwards. Um, yeah. and there's usually very a very low period in the middle there somewhere where you you face yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I was curious as to whether that's been your experience and, I guess if you're comfortable sharing what prompted that and what what that has done for your faith, if that's happened. Yeah, very very happy to try and talk to that. Um, I'm I'm quite an optimistic, glass half full person uh, to the point where I will actually make excuses for other people to let them off the hook, including the church. Um, so, but one of the net effects of that, and I think a fair degree of, of personal resilience is I don't think I've ever seriously uh, had that dark night of the soul in an internal sense for me and my, you know, my relationship with, with, um, with God, uh, which is, is probably pretty unusual and I probably need to reflect on that a bit more. Um, what I have experienced, however, is probably two things. I think the first is the debates around gender and sexuality in the church. So when I was growing up, um, my mum was one of the first women ordained deacon and priest in the Anglican church and just watching and seeing how people treated each other, how the depth of theological argument and culture change that needed to happen could also be very harmful. And I saw a lot of people um, walk away, lose their faith, unable to participate in the church. So that was pretty shocking. And I always feel like maybe that was a bit of a primer um, for me, um, being a same-sex attracted person, um, and particularly through I've been in a relationship for um, coming up for 30 years, 
the sort of constant, it's got better, but the sort of constant hostility questioning around that um, has always been a huge challenge. But for me, the that's that's been about the the fellowship with other Christians. It hasn't been about a relationship with God. And my response to both of those things has always been to push myself more towards the centre of the church. Um, as someone who, you know, with my job and, you know, I'm a privileged white guy, really, um, you know, I, I carry a lot of power and it's weird when at the same time you're, you're constantly being made marginal. So holding those two things together also for me, actually, is an authentic experience because it feels a little bit like the way Jesus and his disciples worked about both being both sort of central and marginal at the same same time. So that's sort of one one area. The other one I think is is a um, is the anxiety I think the whole church in the West is going through at the present time, just around the secularism, the decline of um, faith, the decline of church membership and attendance, huge questions about. Uh, spiritual matters and the way they're not attended to in our world. And I guess I, I have a frustration around though, where are we having those conversations? Almost to the point of saying, why aren't we dropping everything and just having those conversations? Because they're so critical to the future of um, the church in this place. So I think there's a big, there's a frustration there. Where is the, where is the conversation in the Anglican church in this place about discerning the spirit's call on our future? Yeah, but I, I say that with no hostility to anybody. It's it's more of a sort of lament about um, where we are and, and where we go next. Speaking from your experience, where do you think we are going as a church? I'm curious. Uh, we're going into a deep, dark night of the soul, Kiralee. Um, and, and there you go. It's, it's coming. It's on the cusp. <laughs> it's coming. It's, it's not. It, you know, it's my midlife crisis. Um, it's, it's not. And this, this is not just an Anglican thing. Um, this is happening across all the churches. that, And I see this through, through work. But I also see it um, as an opportunity, which is to reconnect with what God might be saying to the church and to the world. And I think to to realise uh, how lost our society is. So um, let, let me put those two ideas together in the sort of so-called progressive versus conservative framework that, that dogs us and I think is really unhelpful. I, um, I often get seen as a progressive Christian and I would tend to, my back would tend to get up when people talk about um, we need to stand at odds with the world in areas like gender and sexuality and the sort of traditional things and, you know, our religious freedoms are being eroded. On the whole, I just don't see that, particularly as a privileged white guy. However, what I do see happening as a ho real hostility between the church and our society is the drive of individualism and materialism in the world and the um, almost total lack of engagement with the with the spiritual dimensions or the communal um, dimensions, which I see is at the heart of the gospel. So the basic principle of Christianity, love God and love neighbour, I see is entirely missing from the ultimate values of our world, left unquestioned and left to its own devices. So there, I think we, we are called to um, stand up against the world, to be seriously resilient and maybe being pushed into that deep, dark night of the soul um, would give us cause to think carefully about our own lives and practices so that we can be authentic. You mentioned feeling a lot of grief and lament over um, the way things are and 
and and having a positivity just about what God is doing, I guess, through your experience of him. When you go to your job as vice chancellor, you you have a lot of different things that you're doing on a regular basis, but particularly in your role at the University of Divinity, how do you see your role playing into this time that you say um, is so dark and difficult for the Christian world? Yeah, and, and of course it's, it's dark and difficult for the whole world, isn't it? I mean, climate mm, change, pandemic. Definitely. Yeah, or flood. Um, you know, it's all it's all of us. So again, I think if Christians can find a way to do this, so well, maybe that's part of the answer at the University of Divinity. Um, part of it is around the work of theology is having this conversation at at you know might be a high academic and intellectual level at times, but it's standing back and saying what is going on in the world and theologically how do we understand that, interpret it, and respond to it. So that's strongly connected with my work. And I, I take two thoughts with me into that space that connect strongly to, to um, my own sense of God in the church. So the, the first would be, well, um, God is still God. So there's, a, there's an element of um, let, it, let the worry go. Sure, there are tough decisions to be made and difficult times, but God is God. So, you know, we don't have to save the world. Jesus already has. Uh, is is, is Good, good, good refrain. Um, I think the other thing then in my work is that I'm not just called to do management, I'm actually called to lead. And that leadership has to include serious intellectual leadership about trying to chart the path ahead, um, shining, you know, shine a light on the pathway ahead and start to interpret it to others. That's a critical part of my role. And if I'm doing it well, I hope some of that can be a gift back into my own church. Just going back, um, because I know this may be a thing for people listening in, what has it been like being a Christian and being same-sex attracted all these years, as you say? Yeah, so um, I remember distinctly when I first came out when I was 20, um, it was it felt like a completely forbidden thing. You know, you shouldn't talk about it. There were a handful of people around um, you know, who are well known for being um, gay or lesbian, but it felt very um, difficult to even mention. And so you felt sometimes like you were looking for safe corners within the church of people that you could um, be yourself with, um, both as a Christian um, and as someone who was same-sex attracted. Um, interestingly, I contrast that now with 20, 30 years later, I don't experience that sense of, we can't talk about it, um, it's not permitted, it's actually far more the debate about what, what is the church going to do about it. Uh, and I think that's actually a positive. Um, so I was conscious of the General Synod meeting earlier this year, there were a number of people who spoke about their own um, sexual sexuality and, and those of family members, and that was fine. You know, there was none of the stigma about it. And I thought, you know, that that that's growth, that's change. Yeah, yeah, but it's still, it's, still um, obviously a struggle, but it's got a lot better than it was 30 years ago. And how do you find the distinction between, um, keeping a distinction between how you've been treated um, as a same-sex attracted person and the way that God views you and how do you maintain that that difference in thinking? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a couple of thoughts come to mind. First is I'm 
honestly not sure that God is particularly bothered about our sexuality in the sense that if, you know, God is our creator, God made us the way that we are. Um, and, and absolutely there are um, um, questions around what we do with our sexuality. So I don't experience any form of challenge about thinking about God and my sexuality in, in that sense. I think where I do find it challenging is that the way I approach theology and Christianity is um, how we receive and interpret the scriptures is done in community. And so you have to listen to the voices of other Christians and you need to engage with them. So there is a very real sense in which uh, God's will and the spirit speaking to us is going to come through a Christian community. And when that community seems to be excluding you or being homophobic or just being wrong, um, that's where the challenge comes in of looking looking through that to say, okay, what is what is God saying to to us here? Yeah, so I guess going down to a a daily, how your faith plays out on a daily basis. Um, we've talked a lot of big picture, sort of whole of life stuff, um, but when you when you get up and you go through your day, um, what is it about God and about the faith that you hold that continues to inspire you and challenge you and drive you forward. So the joy in my day, most days, is is the singing. I cannot, I know it sounds strange, but I cannot emphasise what a privilege it is to be able to sing the scriptures and to pray every day uh, in a community in the heart of Melbourne. That's the huge privilege and that sustains me. Um, so I look forward to it and it calms me down at the end of the day and reconnects me with God and with neighbour. That's the up. The downside for me is I feel quite disconnected from the service of the poor that Jesus calls us to. So I meet a lot of important people. I do work that ultimately I hope benefits the wider community, but I do feel a gap in my faith life uh, around that basic service um, to the poor and the needy that I you know, isn't about being patronising or just doing charity to others. It's actually about being part of um, the communities of, of the poor and the needy, and there's so much need around it. So I'm, I'm still reflecting on what that means for me. And I think that's a challenge. I think possibly that's a challenge for a lot of people at this point in time um, who are heavily engaged in the church is how to be heavily engaged in the church and outside the church and in lots of different spaces and how to kind of bring the church, how to redefine what the church looks like in a way that those people are really welcome. Um, so I think it's it taps into a very interesting question for a lot of people. And what would you, I guess, on that, what would you say to somebody who's, say, young and a Christian but feeling, just feeling discouraged, feeling like they're living in a polarised society, they're um, confused about where the world's going and they're not sure where to turn, what would your encouragement be? Yeah, I think uh, there's probably two or three things that and I could do all of them better. Um, one is being aware of what I think of as the sort of vertical access between you and God and just making the time in your day for that connection, that listening, whether it's through... Um, Lexio Divina, careful reading of the scripture, meditation, going for a walk, uh, whatever it is, that, just attending to that in a small way each day, looking for the, the, the message of hope. 
The second one then is the is the love of neighbour and finding ways to connect into communities, particularly outside the church. The church will easily suck up all your time into church politics and leadership if we let it, and that's okay to a point. Um, but but really looking for those other connections in the world because I think in giving of ourselves, uh, we do receive back um, tenfold. So I think encouragement can come there. But perhaps above all, going to that sort of sense of being uh, discouraged, I think being accompanied on the Christian life is critically important. So uh, talking to other Christians, finding um, people you can trust, maybe outside your immediate circle, um, so it goes back to that thing of the parish I grew up in, the ability to talk to a 90-year-old woman when I was 14 or 15 and just impart some wisdom about what it is to live the Christian life through struggles was a huge encouragement and, and remains that to this day. So, yeah, fellowship with other Christians, maybe outside your immediate circle, I think is a great way to find that encouragement uh, to keep going. The other side of it is a strong sense of, which I've learned from some of my Aboriginal friends of walking on country, which just gives me the sense of, as I, as I walk um, on the ground of, of God, the creator's presence in our lives. I also often have a strong sense of being accompanied um, throughout the day um, by Jesus. Sometimes that's a bit of a tap on the shoulder feel of, you know, hang on, mate, you need to rethink some of this. Um, some of that's just the assurance that someone is with you. And the third thing, and this is the most challenging thing for me because I like to talk a lot, uh, is learning to listen to others. So even at meetings in, in, in at work, whether it's with my own team or, or with our colleges or with our partners in churches and agencies, really listening for what the Spirit is saying. And it's always there. So you, it's, again, such a privilege in that to have the opportunity every day to reflect on what has the Spirit said to us this day, however small or large, and for me, that comes through um, that singing and praying the scriptures with others and through listening carefully uh, to the voices of others, both Christian and non-Christian in, in, in my daily work. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Good luck with the rest of the project, Kiralee. You've been listening to Everyday Saints. Everyday Saints is hosted and edited by me, Kiralee Nicole, with help from Elspeth Kernibone, Michelle Harris, Janan Taylor, and Maya Pilbrow. Graphics by Julian Karajic. If you have a suggestion for our podcast, please email me directly at knicole at melbourneanglican.org.au.